Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring on a guest with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that we have a free quiz on the ashleystall.com website that is here to help you figure out what your best career path and skill set truly is and what that means for your next steps, your opportunities to improve, and who you truly are in the workforce. All you have to do is head on over to ashleystall.com slash podcast quiz, and you'll be able to take our free quiz and get a bunch of information on who you are and what your next steps are. Thanks again for tuning in. Now let's get into this week's episode. When you think about strategy, everybody always says content is king, content is king. Well, if that's the truth, then distribution is clean, right? So distribution is just as important as your content. And what I mean by that is you need to have a a following that's super engaged. And the way that you do that is by proactively getting your following. Hi, friends. I am so excited to bring Hala Taha onto the podcast today. Her podcast, Young and Profiting, is blowing up right now. I was just on it for the U-Turn book, and she is just putting out such awesome work. She just left her job, but she didn't even leave her job until she had 35 employees and her not-so-side side hustle, and she is just full of wisdom. She's the CEO now of Yap Media. It's a podcast and social media marketing agency, and she's just making such an awesome impact. And I feel like the work category is one where it can be tempting to hear a lot of the same stuff. And I just know that she has so much valuable insight on how you can be the most valuable employee in the building. And a lot of that has to do with being intrapreneurial. So whether you own a business or not, you can have that entrepreneurial spirit at work. And that is what gets you standing out. So Hala, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you again for being here. I'm so happy to be here, Ashley. I feel like you're just full of things. Like I was asking Hala for her talking points before we started and she just like kept going with new ideas that were so good. So um, before I get into, you know, all of these tips for people to be more valuable at work, um, tell us a little bit about your story. What got you to start the podcast and what got you to leave work and go full time as an entrepreneur? Oh my gosh. My journey has been filled with so many ups and downs. A lot of people see my interviews now. They see me interviewing Matthew McConaughey and and they say, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. And they, they think it was an overnight success, but little do they know that I've been doing this for like over 10 years of really hustling and, 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 you know, working my butt off. So it all started in college. I worked at Hot 97. That's the number one hip hop and R&B radio station in the world. This is about 10 years ago. And And so back then, radio was a huge deal. So I worked for Angie Martinez. She was the voice of New York. I ended up dropping out of college, and I worked for her for free for three years. Um, When a paying job opened up, even though I was really rocking it at the station and, um, you know, really almost 
you know, being pruned to be the next Angie Martinez at the station, they didn't give me the job. It was a producer role and I was very devastated. And I ended up leaving Hot 97 because of that. And I got, you know, went back to school, got my degree. And then I started the sorority of hip hop right away that that weekend I got fired and I learned how to build websites and I recruited 14 girls right away. Within three months, we were one of the most popular entertainment news sites in the world. Um, at the height of it, we had 50 bloggers. We would host events, parties. We had online radio shows. That's like the precursor to podcasts. And, uh, it was a blast. We almost got a show on MTV twice. Um, they filmed us all summer. They ended up pulling the plug on our show. Again, I was devastated. Another rejection. Um, and I went into corporate. I went and got my MBA. I got a 4.0 and I worked at Hewlett Packard. And at that point, I thought my entertainment career was over. I thought I would never get back on the mic. I thought, you know, that was that was the past. I was young and, you know, I was a failed young entrepreneur and I would never do it again. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another four years into Hewlett Packard. I got promoted several times and, uh, you know, some things happened within the company that I wasn't happy about. And I wanted to, you know, expand and go back to my roots. And I started Young and Profiting Podcast. And here I am three years later with a number one podcast and a successful marketing agency. And if you had asked me three years ago where I'd be today, I would be like, no way, that's not possible. So anything is possible. And uh, that's my story. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I saw that you just had interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I'm so proud and inspired by what you're putting out there and that you got the courage to leave your job. I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of messiness, I think around leaving your job. Like some people think, you know, if I want to start a business, I just have to leave my job before I'm making money. And that puts you in such a desperate place. And then other people kind of leave when they start to see money trickling in. And I think for you, you left when your business was booming. So for everybody mm-hmm. who's listening, maybe somebody who needs your services, can you tell us a little bit more about Yap Media and what do you guys offer? What are you selling? Um, and what made you decide to make those offerings? And then I want to ask you yeah. about being a valuable employee and all of the things. Of course. So the story of Yap Media is so cool. It's such an inspiring story. So when I started Young and Profiting Podcast, from the start, I had like really fanatical fans, like people who were obsessed with my podcast from date from literally episode one and two. And um, by episode two, a fan had reached out. His name is Timothy Tan, who is now my business partner. And he was obsessed with the show. And he's like, I just want to help. I just want to help you. Like, and I was like, okay. Um, I was really scarred from the sorority of hip hop and managing 50 girls at such a young age. It was so much drama that when I started Young and Profiting Podcast, I swore I would do it on my own. I was like, I don't want anybody on my team. It's just going to be me. I don't want any drama. And, uh, you know, before I knew it, I had 10 volunteers working for free on my show. We started a Slack group. I had Hisham in California booking guests. I had Peter in the UK doing our research. I had, you know, Parth helping with audiograms and everybody had their little like, you know, role in the podcast. And I just had a bunch of volunteers who were fans working on the show. And uh, then, you know, I got, we kept getting bigger and bigger and the the guests that would come on my show, their bestselling authors, CEOs, celebrities, they would always ask me, who does your marketing? You know, your, your booking process was so smooth. Who does your booking? Um, You know, oh my gosh, like you're blowing up on LinkedIn. How did you do that? Like, how did your podcast get this many downloads? Like, so all the guests that would come on my show would always ask me the same thing. And it never clicked. I never was like, oh, I could monetize this. Like never. And then Heather Monahan, uh, which I think you know her as well. I think you went on her show. 
she became my friend. She came on my show and she did the same thing. And, but she was a little bit more pushy and she was like, let's get on a call. So like I got on a call, I'm showing her like our Canva templates. I'm showing her headliner. I'm showing her Slack. And she's like, holla, do you realize that this is like the same stuff that like Gary V's team shows me when I hop on a call with them? Like you literally have something as like scalable as what Gary V does. Like you have to start a business. And I was like, no, I'm not really into that. I have a great career. I, like not interested. And then she convinced me and I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll start with your videos. And so I, I started making her podcast videos. Then she was like, can you please just take over my LinkedIn? And I was like, okay, fine. I'll take over your LinkedIn. And then it just led to one thing after another until I started managing Heather Monahan, who's a huge influencer on LinkedIn and Instagram, a big speaker. I basically manage everything for her now, all her social media, all her bookings, all her show research, everything. And then I landed my next client, my next client, my next client. And now all of a sudden I have eight huge clients. Half of them are billionaires, it seems like. And it's just, it's just amazing. And now all the volunteers on my team who started, who worked for me for free are team leaders and have teams under them and are getting paid. And a lot of us like me are, are leaving our full-time jobs. It's just incredible. I love how like organic and like it wasn't forced at all. It just, it was kind of meant to be. I love that. And when somebody says, can you manage my LinkedIn? I feel like most people listening, they're thinking to themselves, like, what is there to manage? Like you post your, your resume kind of on LinkedIn, maybe you engage in a LinkedIn group. But so what, what comes to mind for you when somebody says, can you manage my LinkedIn? What are some things that you might think are really helpful? Maybe for somebody listening who wants to do it for themselves, what are some keys that you think are yeah. really helpful? Yeah, I love this question. And for those who don't know me, um, I'm one of the biggest influencers on LinkedIn right now and probably the biggest podcaster on that platform. So it's not a resume site anymore. There's so many people on LinkedIn who want to absorb content. Uh, they love motivational and educational content on LinkedIn. There's lots of active users. It's no longer just B2B, it's B2C. And you can get a lot of visibility. And there's Generally, I mean, it's getting more competitive, but compared to Instagram, it's less competitive to stand out, which is why I focused on that platform. And so when it comes to LinkedIn, you want to post at least once a day. You also want to make sure that you're commenting on other people's posts and that you're building a community proactively and that you're, you know, active in the DM. So when it comes to social media advice, the thing that I uh, always kind of say to everyone is when you think about strategy, everybody always says content is king, content is king. Well, if that's the truth, then distribution is clean, right? So distribution is just as important as your content. And what I mean by that is you need to have a, a following that's super engaged. And the way that you do that is by proactively getting your following. Um, so I'll give you an example of that. Um, when I first was starting my brand on LinkedIn, I saw that Gary V had a really big presence on LinkedIn. And I thought anybody who would like my posts and content and podcasts probably like Gary's stuff too. So why don't I target his fans? And so anybody who liked or commented on Gary V's posts, I invited to connect. And I said, hey, what's up? My name is Hala. I noticed that you love Gary V's content. I think if you like his stuff, you'll like my, my stuff too. And, you know, looking forward to provide value on your feed. Nine out of 10 people accepted that invite. And then I ended up with like 9,000 of Gary V's fans. 
Um, that benefited me in so many different ways because then I would comment on Gary V's posts. I'd be the top comment with a hundred likes and random people, like the hundred thousand people who saw that post would be like, who's Halataha and why does she have 100 likes on Gary V's post? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> little do they know, like I like hacked it. Right. And the other thing is that on social media platforms, when you DM someone, so I was inviting people to connect. And then once they accepted, I would send them a link to my podcast. And I grew a lot of my podcast fan base that way. When you are talking to somebody in the DMs, it signals to the social media platform that you guys are friends and then they're more likely to see your content in the feed. And so I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I was doing. And so everybody started liking my content too, because while I was proactively getting my community and pulling them in one by one, I was also being consistent with my posting and I was, you know, I had great copywriting skills. I was a marketer. And so I had background in that. And so I was really able to stand out. And one of the things that I always say um, to people is that skill stacking is super important. I am not the best podcaster in the world. Ashley, you're probably a better podcaster than I am. I I really had to, I was a a learned podcaster. I had to learn. It didn't come super naturally for me, but I'm a great marketer and I'm a great writer. And so like I stacked all those things together and then I was able to stand out as a podcaster. So uh, those are some tips for social media. Are you tired of feeling tired? There's one phase of sleep that almost everybody fails to get enough of, and it's called deep sleep. This is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation, repair, hunger, weight loss, hormones, energy, and so much more. And chances are, if you're not loving your sleep, you're not loving your life. And one of the biggest reasons people don't get enough sleep, especially the deep state, is because they're deficient in magnesium along with 80% of the US population. Since magnesium is responsible for 300 to 600 different biochemical reactions in your body, if you don't get enough, you're likely to struggle with sleep, energy, metabolism, pain, and stress. So why is the majority of the US population missing magnesium in their body? Well, it's been missing in the soil in the United States since the 1950s. So while you can get some magnesium from certain foods like black beans, nuts, avocados, spinach, and more, if you really wanna make sure you get enough, I recommend considering a supplement in addition to these foods. This is why I was inspired to share the magnesium breakthrough product I've been using every evening from BioOptimizers. This is by far the most complete magnesium product I've ever heard of with the optimal ratio of seven essential types of magnesium, including number one, magnesium chelate, which is great for muscle strength, recovery, and health. Two, magnesium malate, which helps with headaches, chronic pain, and depression. And number three, magnesium L3 and 8, which is to help you improve your brain function, including your short and your long-term memory, which we all need a little of that. Most magnesium supplements only have two or three different types of the nutrient, which is still not moving the needle like BioOptimizers does. Head on over to www.magbreakthrough.com slash U-turn. That's www.magbreakthrough.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And make sure you use the U-turn code for 10% off your order. I absolutely am loving the Mag Breakthrough product, game changer, and I hope you enjoy the 10% off.
I love this. Oh my gosh. I feel like after we're done recording, I'm going to be like, all right, Hala, do you want to manage my LinkedIn profile? So this is really good information. (laughs) Okay. So clearly you're very resourceful. And that's like one of my favorite things about you was just noticing the resourcefulness that you have. And even for me, I've been on a journey of doing less in my world, like trying to have less, like Sometimes I'll commit to things and realize like, whoa, this is something that is going to require all of me if I really want to do it right. And and mm-hmm. so I'm curious, like, where do you get your energy from? And um, for anybody that's feeling kind of low energy that really wants to upgrade their life in the ways that you have, what feedback do you have for them for them to kind of like step into really loving their world or what advice do you have? Because I know a lot of people also feel really drained by their job. Hmm. So I think this really has to do with, you know, doing what you love and being in alignment with your truth, right? So whenever I'm successful, it's because I truly want to be doing what I'm doing. And when you're in a job or in a situation where you don't truly believe or are in alignment with what you're doing, then, you know, the energy won't be there and you're always going to be have like an uphill battle trying to get that energy. And so, you know, I learned this from David Meltzer. He came on my podcast. He says, the truth vibrates the fastest. Like the truth is the most abundant energy that you can have or project is is being in alignment with your truth. So, and that also means like being a good person, you know, like giving out good karma, being of service. And, And all those things are things that I try to do to keep me in a good mood, to keep me feeling motivated. Um, I always give back. I'm doing like podcast office hours twice a week on Clubhouse, helping up and coming podcasters just out of the goodness of my heart because I just know how hard it was for me when I was starting out. And I always just try to serve people like just anybody I meet in my life. I try to serve them. If there's an opportunity, I try to give them opportunities. And because I just believe in karma and that, you know, if you give good things out, you're going to get good things in. And that's kind of the way that I operate. And I feel like that has really helped me, um, you know, being a very collaborative person. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, totally. I really, and I noticed that about you. It feels very true. And so as far as being the most valuable employee at work, one of the things that we talked about before I hit the record button was, and and I love that you suggested this because this is not something I typically suggest, but it felt so true, which is getting involved in employee resource groups, um, both as a value for you to get new skills and for you to be more visible. So can you talk about this? I know that you worked at Disney and HP and these might be more institutional companies that have those resource groups. So maybe somebody can be more entrepreneurial and create their own employee group. Can you just kind of walk me a little bit through what this looks like and what people could do? Yeah, sure. So at a lot of these big corporations, they offer something called employee resource groups. And essentially they're typically for like minority groups within the company to, you know, come together, learn new skills, uh, you know, boost the company culture, that kind of thing. So for example, Um, They'll have the Young Employee Network or the Black Employee Network or the Women's Employee Network or the Veterans Employee Network. So those are just some typical examples of what a company will have. And typically there's like chapters, you know, at every single office around the world. And then there's like global boards that kind of manage all the different chapters around the world. And at HP, this is something I I saw a big opportunity. I went to HP as a a young uh, failed entrepreneur. 
And I was very different from everyone else. I had basically learned everything I knew on YouTube. I had previously, uh, before I got my MBA, I pretty much failed out of college. So like I didn't learn anything in my undergrad. I, I was like not paying attention working at Hot 97. And um, I learned everything on YouTube. And so I got to the company and I had such an advantage because I was so digital savvy, right? And uh, work was so easy for me because people were having to learn how to do graphics and this and that. And I, I could do that like the back of my hand. And so I had a lot of, I felt like I had a lot of free time. So that's why I got really involved in their employee, employee resource groups. So I noticed at HP that they didn't have any at my office. So I, I was working in New Jersey and um, they had employee resource groups all over the company, but for some reason, my office had none. So I took it upon myself to start a petition to start the Young Employee Network. And I ended up like recruiting some folks and, and starting it up. And it was super beneficial because what happened was, is that, you know, I was low on the totem pole. I started at HP as an intern and I was really young. And because I had started this um, initiative, it got me a lot of visibility with uh, the C-suite because, um, you know, at this time, this office um, didn't have any summer picnics or Christmas parties or fundraising events. They had literally no culture. And so I was this girl coordinating all these big events and these big events require a budget. And who do you get budget from? The CFO, the CEO, right? And so first I would approach the CFO, tell him what I wanted. Then I would, you know, propose it to the CEO. Then we'd have these events and I'd want the CEO to speak. So I'd have to ask him. And so all these people started to really know who I was. And then I kept getting tapped on the shoulder to like be more involved in other projects outside of my day job. And then my role started to shift into like a much bigger role. And then I just kept getting promoted and promoted because it's like I was, you know, the young person who all the C-suite executives knew about and knew that I had like good energy and that I was trying to benefit the company and it just made me look really good, you know? Uh, so that's, it's, it's definitely a really great idea to get involved in those kind of things, especially if you have extra bandwidth during your day and you find yourself in your day job, like not have like being a full capacity. This is a great way to stand out and make an impact at your job. I love what you're saying. And I know that one of the most draining things that people can experience sometimes in their job is like wanting to make sure they look a certain way, but it's so cool to hear that you kind of did this because you wanted to connect and the out kind of the byproduct of that was more exposure, more visibility, more impact. Um, so if there's no employee resource group, what are some steps you would suggest maybe for, or some thoughts you would suggest people have to maybe start one within their company? Yeah. I mean, if they don't have them already within your company, I would, you know, approach your HR and ask if you're allowed to create some sort of network. I, I don't think many jobs would be opposed to this. It can be something that you guys do during lunch and you have lunch and learns, right? Or it can be something where, um, you know, if you guys don't have a company picnic or a Christmas party, you can just start an events group within your company and get noticed that way. Um, so again, it's this mindset of like service. So at, like at the foundation of all of this, it really was like this service mentality. I was volunteering internally for my company. I basically had a side hustle within the, my company. And because I did that, it helped me get a lot of visibility. And so you can do that even if there is no like actual organization available. Um, another thing you can do is Toastmasters. So, you know, get, you know, figure out how to start a Toastmasters and recruit people for that within your, your company. So those are just some ideas. 
I love it. Gosh, it's, I love being around entrepreneurs like you because you're just full of ideas and they're all <laughs> so doable. Um, and I can see why your business is growing. Like I can feel the clean energy around you wanting to do what you're doing. Um, okay. So another tip that you talked about was kind of getting outside of the institutional knowledge. And I, after reading the book Sapiens and reading basically the argument from the author that the number one skill that we need in the future is the ability to reinvent ourselves. I know that change is the new normal. And if anything, COVID is just compounding that hypothesis. And so, you know, going outside of institutional knowledge, I think is a move that somebody does when they're in that mindset of reinvention. And there's so Mm -hmm. many companies that do things the way they do things the way that they do things. And it can be kind of disruptive to be someone who goes outside of institutional knowledge. So can you talk a little bit about what that might look like for somebody in their career? And I don't know, just kind of like any sort of tips you have on how somebody could get started in being a little more innovative with what they're bringing to the table and going outside of that institutional information they see. Yeah. So I'll give a personal example to kind of set the stage and help people understand why this is so important. So I went to HP, like I said, I was an intern. I was a failed entrepreneur, started this job. And like I said, I thought I was going to be so behind because all of my peers, you know, went into corporate straight out of school. And I thought I was going to be so behind and then I get there and, and and like nobody knows how to like edit. A, I was in marketing. Nobody knows how to edit a video. Like nobody knew much about it was like social media was like still new to everyone and like had to be convinced to people. And I was like just baffled. I was like, what are you guys like talking about? You know, and I was like the most tech savvy person on the marketing team by far. And I stayed there for about five years and um you know, then I got a job at Disney streaming services. And the funny thing is, is when I got to Disney streaming, it was like, I was so far behind because HP was such like an old school place that like, I almost like lost all my, um, I, I don't know how to, how to phrase it. Like I lost all my, like trendiness when it comes to like, what's going on in the digital world, because HP was so old school. And even though I was the most tech savvy person in there for five years, I was being institutionalized. Right. And then I got to Disney streaming service and everybody was so advanced. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm lost. Um, which is crazy. Cause I always thought that I was the most tech savvy one. And so it's really important to step outside your day-to-day role and try to get other experiences and try to understand what's going on in, in other companies and and what is trending in the world in terms of like social media or, or whatever industry that you're in it's really important to step outside your current job because there's processes in place and there's you know there's management in place and sometimes you can't go outside of the box when it comes to your day job maybe there's monetary restrictions right maybe it's just like you said like people are just closed minded and they say, this is the way we've always done it. And so there's just no way to kind of move the needle. And that's why having a side hustle or a hobby outside of your job that's related to your career is super beneficial. So when I started my podcast as a side hustle, that's when things really started to open up for me because it was like, I tapped into that like innovation mindset again. And all of a sudden I had to learn everything about podcasting, which was like a new thing. I had to learn everything about LinkedIn and and growing my personal brand. Then I started growing my personal brand and, you know, my job took notice and then they wanted me to do LinkedIn trainings for everyone. And that was great. But like you, you have to 
try to make sure that you're getting exposure outside of your company. Otherwise, you're only going to grow so much because you're only going to grow within the knowledge within your company. And I think that's a really scary place to be. Um, And plus, if your connections and everything like that is only within your company, then you really have no kind of fallback. If you lose your job, all your connections are in that job and you lost it, right? So I think it's really important to like diversify your connections, diversify your skill sets, make sure you're, you know, looking outside of your job to get experiences because that's how you're going to kind of grow as a person and make sure that you never like obsolete in terms of your skills. What's going on, U-Turn friends? It's Ashley here. Sorry for the quick interruption. I realize I've been doing this podcast for years and I almost never talk about my ghostwriting and publicity company called Cake Publishing. We have some of the best writers I know writing New York Times bestselling books, writing wording for people's websites, emails, and so much more, as well as publicists who are incredible at getting you on television, whether it's Good Morning America, Today's Show, or your local news. And we want to support you. We have been helping influencers, companies, and charities get their words and message out into the world. And we are so inspired by it. So for some reason, you're a business owner or you work with a company that needs a ghostwriter for any reason, a speechwriter or a publicist to get you out there into the world, head on over to cakepublishing.com. That's C-A-K-E publishing.com. Or you can shoot me an email at ashley at cakepublishing.com. All right, now let's get back to this week's guest. Okay, so good. And I want to also ask you, you talk about raising your hand and you have so much confidence. It's and whether it feels true for you or not, like it it's what comes across for me and I really admire that. And so I'm curious, like what do you think it has been in your life or what are you doing to create that confidence? Because I know another point we had talked about was raising your hand whether you're qualified or not. And if I had a penny for every client I've had that won't raise their hand because they are telling themselves they're not qualified. It's mind blowing. So mm, just mm-hmm. your feedback. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to do with all the rejections that I faced in my past and also like my ethnicity. So when I was growing up, I'm Arabic and, you know, nine 11 was still like a big thing. And I really had to work really hard for everything. Like I never got a handout, you know, like I literally never got a handout and I had to work hard for everything. And I got really used to rejection. And so I got used to people when I was younger, always telling me, no, I I had the best voice in school and they wouldn't put me in the talent show, like, for example, you know, and which is like ridiculous. Right. And so I just I just always had to get back on my feet because there was really no other option. And so as I got older, I just stopped being scared of rejection. I stopped being scared of no, because I knew that, you know, if somebody told me no, I probably need to just create my own lane and do it on my own, right? Because a lot of the times when people are telling us no, they're the gatekeepers. And um, and it's probably not personal. They're probably not saying no because they dislike you. It's just maybe they had a bad day. Maybe you're not, maybe, you know, you're not exactly the right fit, whatever it is. But a lot of the times when you get rejected, there's a gatekeeper. And I think being open-minded enough to know that if there's a gatekeeper, that doesn't mean go find another gatekeeper. It means like create your own lane, create your own path, do it on your own. Um, that has always helped me. So, so, and that keeps me confident because when I can control my destiny, I know that I'll give it my all and I'll most likely succeed. Um, 
in terms of like just like confidence tips and things like that, I think it's a, it's like a muscle. Heather Monahan says this all the time. It's something that you really need to work on. Um, and I think it's also about taking action. It's like, I'm confident because I do the work, right? There's it's no, there's no fakeness involved. Like there's no fluff involved. It's like, I do the hard work and I know that if I do the work, then the results will come. And that's kind of like the mentality that I take. And in terms of you were saying, raising your hand, right? Um, the beauty of that is because nobody knows what the hell they're doing, right? Um, and everything can be learned and can be learned rather quickly, honestly. Um, and, and so raising your hand and having the confidence to just say yes before you're fully ready, um, if you do that often enough, it will just become second nature where like you're just so used to just saying yes and taking a shot on yourself because you'll realize that you most likely can accomplish things that you never realized you thought you could if you just take a chance on yourself. And so I think believing in yourself is really key. And I think, you know, being open-minded enough and, you know, ready to take a risk is important so that you can grow. Because if you're feeling stuck or if you're feeling like you're not getting anything accomplished, it's most likely because you're like not making any meaningful changes for your growth because you're not saying yes to opportunities or going out of your way to get new opportunities. Okay. So I know we can't have this conversation about being entrepreneurial without talking about networking. I love that quote around, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And that is such a networking reminder. So there's so many things I know that you're doing to keep your network warm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you see networking and how people can do that, especially in today's world where we're kind of behind our computer screen and not so much in the office? Yeah. So I think networking is so powerful. And my motto is collaboration over competition. And for example, in the podcast community, I am known to be like Uh, an influencer within the podcast community. And one of the things that I did is I started a podcast mastermind and I recruited 50 different podcast influencers and we have a monthly call and now we're hosting clubhouse events together and we're sharing knowledge with each other. And in today's age, knowledge is everything. Knowledge is power, right? And if you have a group of like-minded people around you, you guys can share information and you can get a lot further, faster, because you're learning from people instead of having to learn it on your own. And so having connections is super important. And the thing that I think people get wrong with networking is that they try to hoard their network. They get a contact, they meet a CEO from at a conference three years ago, and they get their email and they think that they have a contact and they think that, you know, I'm not going to share this with anyone else because this is my, you know, secret sauce. This is my contact. And, and they have a scarcity mindset about their connections. Well, turns out that if you met someone three years ago and you got their email, they're no longer your contact. If you haven't kept in touch with them, that person probably doesn't remember who you are. You didn't reach out to them since then. And if you lose your job and you try to reach out to them now, they're not going to help you because they're going to be like, who's this wacko who's coming out of the blue and says they met me three years ago? I don't know who you are. But if you had instead had an abundance mindset and you wanted to expand your network, 
maybe you would have introduced that CEO to someone else, uh, you know, at some point, like, for example, let's say they were they needed somebody for their social media, and you noticed that they were asking online, and then you connected them with somebody else that you know, and you expanded your network that way. Or maybe you reached out to them and you sent them a, an article and just, you know, to keep in touch. And so keeping your connections warm is super important. And then also introducing your connections to each other is super important because that's how you become a connector. That's how you become top of mind of, for people. And that's how you get new opportunities because people will remember, oh, yeah, Hala introduced me to this person. Um, I know she needs help with this. Let me introduce her to that person. You know, that's how you get people to continually kind of do you favors and, and give you referrals and things like that. And so one of the things that I encourage everyone to do who's listening right now, if you are struggling with building a network, I would write down a list of 50 people that you want to keep in contact with. This could be old bosses. This could be co-workers. This could be connections on LinkedIn that maybe your second or like, you know, distant connections on LinkedIn, but you're able to message them. This could be your cousin or your, your, your neighbor's dad, whatever it is, 50 people, right. That you think could improve your life if you had them as a connection and start reaching out to them and start scheduling them on a quarterly basis that every single, every three or four months, you're going to reach out to this person, right? They can all be on different cadences, depending on the level of connection that you want to have. Some of them you can just reach out to twice a year, right? But actually put it in your calendar and schedule that time where you're going to actually reach out to those people and just say something without asking for anything in return, either introduce them to somebody else that you think could benefit their life send them an article that may be interesting for them, wish their kid a happy birthday or wish them a Merry Christmas, whatever it is, you're going to schedule out that time because that's how you actually have warm connections. And that's your insurance policy. So these are people outside of your day job. If for some reason you ever lose your job and you need a favor or you need a recommendation or whatever it is, if you now go reach out to one of those 50 people they're not going to say, who is this wacko who's reaching out to me out of nowhere? They're going to be like, oh, Hala. Oh, she's so sweet. She always checks up on me. Of course, I'll help her. Of course, I'll help you, you know? And so that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. You have to be strategic with your contacts and make sure that you keep them warm because your contacts can go cold very easily. And then you really have nothing to fall back on. Mm, okay. And a couple of questions just about networking. Um, one thing that I have struggled with or not struggled with, but just noticed is when I was trying to get my book out there, um, not all podcasters were happy for an introduction. Like if I was trying to get on a big podcast and a friend would be like, oh my gosh, I was on that show. Let me link you to them. Um, I would get texts every now and again where they'd say, oh, that didn't land well. Like they don't like to be put in a position where they quote unquote have to connect with somebody or have yeah. to be in a position to reject them. So what are, what is, and I get that, you know, like I don't actually always love being linked because it feels like pressure for me. Um, but then I also do love meeting new people. Um, or sometimes I'll join a community and realize, oh, wait, this isn't what I, this is, this is too much, or this isn't what I'm looking for. So I would love your feedback on like, what legwork can we do? Or what do you do to ensure that the way your networking is received? Well, you know, like as far as people dynamics and how do you do your cold outreach or how do you further a relationship once you meet somebody that you find interesting? 
Yeah. So your first question is a really good one. And I have a tip from Jordan Harbinger, who's one of my mentors, and he calls it the double opt-in intro. And essentially, before you go introduce your connections to each other, you want to make sure that they're both cool with the idea. So for example, um, let's say we were just talking about Heather Monahan. Let's say I wanted to tell Heather that I think she should have you on her show, right? So the first thing I would do is I would email Heather and I'd be like, hey, Heather, I met this girl, Ashley. I think she'd be great fit for your show. She does X, Y, Z. Are you cool with me sending an intro email? And then she'll say, yeah, that sounds cool. Or she'll say no. And then if she says no, then I could just be like, hey, Ashley, I, you know, I, I asked her and she wasn't really into it. Uh, you know, awkward situation avoided. Right. Um, And if she says yes, then I make the connection and it's all good. So it's called the double opt-in intro. Super important, especially when it comes, it's not always a big deal. It's when it's, it's when it's a monetary exchange for the other person to speak with the other person. So for example, with podcasting, it's like an investment for somebody to have you on their show. It's like, it's an investment for them of their time of the promotion. If you're, you know, connecting a very high level CEO, think about the amount of money that this person uh, makes per half hour. And if the, and if you're suggesting that you meet for coffee, like that's a a lot to ask of someone and to ask them to do for a stranger. Right. And so it just really depends what it is. Um, Every situation is different, but I definitely suggest, especially for very busy people to do a double opt-in intro so that you don't actually accidentally like harm your relationship. Exactly. And I think um, if there's anything with me getting my book out there, I've gotten a renewed interest and a refined interest in networking these days because I have just learned so much with dealing with high, higher level people in business and wanting to make things happen. I'm also a connector. I love helping my friends get on shows. I love helping them get opportunities. And so the double opt-in intro is so key when it comes to that. And I love that you're just reminding us like there's not a blanket approach to networking. Like it's a moving organism, how you connect with people. So really good reminder. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you about being entrepreneurial, being a top performer that you would want all of us to know as everybody who's listening kind of goes back into their corporate job after listening to this conversation? I think the the one message that I like to leave everybody when I go on these shows is that life is limitless and you really need to believe that. And once you believe that you won't be scared anymore in terms of raising your hand or learning a new skill or starting a side hustle, you have to believe that there's no limitations on your success. And a lot of people have self-imposed limitations on themselves and either they, they heard it when they were younger or, you know, they've had experiences that made them feel like there's some sort of limitation to their success. But if you can try to like step out for a second and realize that there's so many successful people in the world, right? And they're the same as you and me, like, you know, they've got the same body, like they've got the same amount of cells in their brain. Like they're the same as you and me. They've got the same hours in the day as you as well. And it's like anything is possible. And I just hope that people start to realize that life is limitless. And when you believe in yourself and you truly believe that life is limitless and you know what your goals are and you write them down, you can achieve 
anything, literally anything in the world. So um, that's what I always like to leave people with, that life is truly limitless. And I hope that, you know, if you have self-imposed limitations, that you do the internal work that you need to do to realize that life is truly limitless so that you can live the best, most fulfilled life possible. Oh, love this. Thank you again for being here. And I hope that everyone just soaks up your energy because you are such a force, Hala. Thanks again. Thank you, Ashley. It was so much fun. Yes. And where can everybody find you? So you guys can find me um, on my podcast, Young and Profiting. We are the number one education podcast across all apps right now. I've interviewed people like Matthew McConaughey, Seth Godin, Robert Greene, Mark Manson. Um, I interview the brightest minds in the world and we uncover actionable advice every single episode. We're known for our research and the depth that we go to in each episode. You're going to learn something new every time you listen. And so I would love if you guys went to my podcast and subscribed. You can find me on LinkedIn at Hala Taha. I'm also on Clubhouse, super active on there now, Hala Taha. And then on Instagram at Yap with Hala. Woohoo. Thanks again for being here and can't wait to stay connected with you in general. I really appreciate you. Of course. Thanks so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And again, thank you so much to our sponsors, Organifi, Soul CBD, SaneBox, and so much more. We are here because of you and our listeners. Thanks so much for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people we trust and for listening to the show, for writing reviews. Can't wait to talk to you next week.